on this episode of A New York Minute in History. A lot of people don't realize that New York State requires every governmental entity, municipality and county, to have a historian. So we like to be able to learn from each other. You are now a competitor. I'm a history media guy, so you kind of play the whole, the whole gamut. We bring you a live conversation from the annual conference of the Association of Public Historians of New York State in Kingston. It's all up next, right after this. From the Irish invasion of Canada to the early days of the movies, if you are interested in broadening your understanding of New York State history, then this is the podcast for you. I'm Susan Hughes, historian and archivist for the William G. Pomeroy Foundation, a proud sponsor of a New York Minute in History. The Pomeroy Foundation is a philanthropic organization based in Syracuse, New York. One of our main initiatives is to help people celebrate their community's history by providing grants for historic markers and plaques. Here in the Empire State and across the country, we support a diverse range of marker programs that include commemorating food history, civil rights, folklore, and sites on the National Register of Historic Places. As the nation's leading funder of historic markers, the Pomeroy Foundation has awarded over 1,800 grants since 2005. To learn more about the Foundation's grant programs, visit WGPFoundation.org. That's WGPFoundation.org. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to a New York Minute in History, the first live recording of our podcast. My name is Devin Lander, the New York State historian. And I'm Lauren Roberts, the historian for Saratoga County. And on this episode, we have hit the road and we're on site in the city of Kingston for the annual conference of the Association of Public Historians of New York State, or AFNES for short. I always look forward to coming to this conference every year. You get to visit different parts of New York State and experience all of the different types of history we have to offer. And besides that, you really get to network with the other historians and see what kind of projects they're working on and maybe bring some of those ideas back to your own site so that you can implement them and and hopefully improve your own job. And we are really lucky. We have with us Taylor Brock, who is the City of Kingston historian. He has served in that position since 2019. And Taylor also serves as the Ulster County archivist. So we're going to speak with Taylor. Thanks for joining us. If you could just tell us a little bit about what makes the city of Kingston's history unique uh, early on in New York. Sure thing, Lauren. Thanks for having me and thanks, Devin. So the city of Kingston, I guess what makes it unique is that it's one of the first three Dutch colonies in New York. So it was originally founded around 1652, originally called Wiltwick under the Dutch. And because of its proximity between Albany and New York City, it's kind of right in the Goldilocks area of the Hudson Valley. And it became New York State's first capital because of that. Um, After the British had taken over New York City, they needed a place for the New York State Senate to meet and a place to draft the New York State Constitution, and they chose Kingston to do that, again, mainly for convenience, but we're very proud of that history. And actually, attendees at the AFNES conference got to visit the Senate House today. It was really nice to be able to get outside and just get a taste of what the city of Kingston has to offer. So could you let us know some of the other spots that these tours were able to visit today? Yeah, of course. So the first tour that toured the Stockade District, which is our uptown 
portion. It was called the Stockade District because in 1658, Peter Stuyvesant ordered the inhabitants of Kingston to move to a central defensible location, and they chose a portion of a bluff, um, which is now our uptown Kingston area. So we toured the Senate House where the first Senate met. We toured the Matthews Person House, which was built around 1661 originally. Um, that's part of our historic Four Corners. So in Kingston, we have one of the only intersections in North America with four pre-Revolutionary War stone houses on each corner of the intersection. And then we got to see the historic courthouse. This is where Sojourner Truth's court case happened, the Ulster County Courthouse, also where the original New York State Constitution was originally read on the steps for the first time. The other tour went to our downtown area. So the British burned Kingston in 1777. And for a few years, Kingston uh, was rebuilding, trying to really find its place again. But the DNH Canal was finished in 1828, and the terminus is on the Rondout Creek, which is our downtown area of Kingston. And after the DNH Canal was finished, a flood of uh, immigrants moved in to work on the canal and work in the various industries, bluestone, bricks, ice harvesting. And so the tour that toured downtown got to visit the Rear Center for Immigrant History, which is a fairly new museum that does a really great job of interpreting that history of Kingston. It's sort of like Kingston's Tenement Museum. And the Hudson River Maritime Museum is also in Kingston. So they got to see why the Hudson River was important in a lot of different ways and reasons. I was on the Uptown tour. We were happy to have you. Taylor did a great job uh, as a guide, and he also had another member of the Friends of Kingston group who also helped to guide us around the stockade. It's just full of history. It's a great example of what can be done with historic preservation. So thank you very much for talking to us about uh, the history of Kingston, the 30-second summary version. I know you're trying to get through several hundred years there, so thanks a lot for that. Yes, uh, I'd like to invite up our next guest, Christine Radarski. Everyone in the building knows her, but for our audience that's listening, she is the City of Rochester historian and has served in that position since 2008. She has also served as president of AFNES, the Association of Public Historians of New York State, for the last three years. So thank you so much for uh, joining us. You've been a guest on the podcast before. Can you just tell us a little bit about what AFNES is as an organization and what you do? Yeah, and thank you so much for having me on the show today. AFNES represents the 1,600 plus municipal and county historians in New York State. And a lot of people don't realize that New York State has this unique law that requires every governmental entity, municipality and county, to have a historian. Because of New York State's commitment to our history and to recognizing the value that the study of history brings to the state and understanding both of past, present, and future. We all serve very diverse and varied communities, but a lot of the work that we're doing is very similar, so we like to be able to learn from each other. Can you just mention a little bit about the theme of the conference? Yes, thank you for asking that. The theme for this year is expanding the narrative. And, you know, one of the challenges that we've all been facing, especially in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder and other issues that have really brought issues of racism and diversity to the forefront, you know, those things have really helped us realize that you know, much of the history that we've been telling traditionally has come from a white supremacist narrative, and we are really working to expand that narrative, to make sure that as historians, 
you know, we serve everybody in our communities, and that means we should be telling everybody's history. And, you know, if you look around the room at the conference, most of the appointed historians are white. And so we've been working hard to make people aware of methods that we can use to be connecting with our non-white populations and also, you know, issues like LGBTQ history. We had a presentation this morning on pride and LGBTQ history in Brooklyn. So just really looking for ways to connect with audience who have been underserved in the past and underrepresented in the past. Just before you leave, if one of our listeners does want to learn more about the conference, what's the best way to do that? Check out our website. It's very easy. It's www.aphnys.org, afnys.org. And I also want to just take the opportunity to point out that even though our primary audience is appointed government historians, AFNIS actually serves all public historians. So we have affiliate membership opportunities. So if you're in a historical society or you just have an interest in history, we welcome you to join us. You know, join us in membership and then join us at our conferences and present proposals. We'd love to hear from people who are not historians too so that we can all learn from you. And we will be in Ithaca, New York at this time next year. So we look forward to seeing many more people there and perhaps joining your show again at that point. (laughs) Thank you, Christine. Thank you. Part of the um, reason that we're doing this is to talk about, of course, this conference that we're at and and learn about Kingston, learn about AFNIS, but it's also to kind of look back at the podcast itself. We're uh, shockingly uh, on our fourth season of this. You know, I'll just tell a little story about how this whole thing came about. We had the idea to do a podcast out of the State Museum where I work in Albany, and I immediately realized that I had no idea how to do a podcast, what a podcast really was you know, how to present a podcast and certainly not how to do the technical side of the podcast, how to produce a podcast. So we realized we needed a partner to actually do the technical side of this. So we contacted uh, WAMC Northeast Public Radio in Albany. With them on board, we suddenly had a studio, a place to record, as well as an editor to edit it all into something that sounds good. That was step one, was finding a partner in that regard. Step two was, who do I know that's a professional presenter, somebody who actually does this for a living? So I reached out to uh, my friend Don Wildman, who's here with us today, and asked him, I said, Don, you're a professional television person. Would you like to do a history podcast? I'm a history media guy. That's how I like to think of it, because these days, television, which has been my venue for so long, uh, is now accompanied by podcasting and all sorts of other stuff. So you kind of play the whole the whole gamut. Yeah, so when we first started out, we were very, I would say, unstructured. <laughs> we knew we had a ton of material that we could do. We were doing New York State history. There's an endless amount of material. We were shooting for an hour long, and sometimes yes. we were going over an hour. We were very ambitious. I think it was successful to a certain point, but also kind of lacked, you know, a structure. Uh, And we were scripted, which was, 
very difficult for me personally to <laughs> be able to handle um, what Lauren and I do now is essentially blocked out but not scripted so yeah. we know what we want to say we know certainly the topics we've interviewed experts and so we know you know what they've said and how that's going to play into things but we don't necessarily script like you and I used to do right. back and forth where you say this I say that you say this well I we say found that. out doing that podcast version of things was the anti-podcast um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> podcasting depends and radio in general usually depends on an intimacy you're in people's heads, you know, and so you want to be real and you want to be casual and you want to talk like a normal human being. Right. So when you deal with a script, sometimes that doesn't happen. We struggled for yeah. a while there. It was really the pandemic that kind of made us take a step back and look at how we're doing this, what we're doing. You had to transition to your paying job. So I was looking for somebody and you and I talked like who would be a good I thought we were the, the least diverse co-hosting couple that's ever been you know come on yeah yeah exactly so we we kind of thought like who do we know that has a you know an engaging presence who's a historian knows what she or he is talking about and is local so you don't have to travel great distances so we approached lauren from saratoga county and uh, you graciously agreed what in 2019 to yep. co begin mm -hmm. co-hosting it was really the pandemic that sent us all home from everywhere yeah. And we were sitting around and kind of thinking, okay, well, this is an opportunity to take a look at what we've been doing with the podcast, but also think about, you know, what can we do from home? So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the Legends and Lore uh, yeah, episodes sure. and that idea. One of the things that you could still do during the pandemic when everything was shut down was go for a ride in your car. And that made me realize one of the things that people could still see history-wise was roadside markers. There were people doing windshield tours where they could still promote their sites even though the doors couldn't be open. You could drive by and look for historic markers. And one of the programs that the William G. Pomeroy Foundation offers through their grant programs for markers is Legends and Lore. So I thought, well, what if we take a look at these markers? And as many of us know who have tried to write the text on one of the historic markers, you don't get a lot of real estate. But what if we told the backstory behind it in our podcast. And we could interview the local historian or historical societies that had applied for this marker, and then they could help us really talk about the backstory behind applying for the marker. So that's kind of where that idea came from. Yeah, that was a very good idea. I mean, it gave such a nice framework, and it made it very tangible, what we were trying to get across. Plus, you guys sound great together. Well, that's what happened. <laughs> it, it seems to have worked. And, it, you know, for the Legends and Lure, which is different, you know, it's different than history. So it was an opportunity for us to talk a little bit about what the difference was between folklore and history. So I found that interesting. But also we could do it. In a, I mean, I was literally recording it on my cell phone, as you yeah. were, yeah, from our here. basements or, you know, <laughs> not even in the same. And then sending the files to WAMC and then they would put it together. So it was a great idea. It is a great idea. And it was one of those ideas that I think was sitting right there in front of us the whole time. Not uh, us. It was her. Well, <laughs> in front of her the whole time. And uh, we needed her to show us that this was a possibility. I remember getting to know you through your documentary, Lake Sakandaga. Oh, yeah. What is it? Sakandaga? Great Sakandaga Lake. Oh, it's a great documentary. You should watch that. Thank you. So, Don, before we let you go, you are now a competitor 
Um, oh, I'm so sorry about that. Yes. Yeah, uh, a New uh, York Minute in History, and you have your own podcast. There's a, an existing company called History Hit. Dot com, which I think everyone here would be interested in seeing. It's, it comes out of London, and that company actually has most of its subscribers in the United States. Now, it's kind of, they call themselves the Netflix of history. So I'm their newest podcast, and I'm their first American podcast. So it's called American History Hit, and uh, you can find it at historyhit.com. It's twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and we do everything. Battle of Midway, Guadalcanal, it's, you know, military history as well as stuff here. But I'm excited about the New York history. Well, stay I live out in, of New York. Don. I live in the Hudson Valley, by the way. <laughs> stay out of New York. <laughs> I'm sorry. I live here. I can't help it. So what are the first two episodes? I think uh, Seneca Village actually is the first one. Really? Central Park, the uh, African-American village that was wiped out there. Uh, the second question I have is how can you possibly do two a week? That is well, like, you know, we got a staff. Yeah. I'm sorry there to you tell go. you that there's people in London who, you know, <laughs> I, I plug in and suddenly there's producers and people that do stuff for me. And it's really nice. So it's a bigger scale thing. But it's the same operation. It's talking yeah. to authors, by and large, about the works that are just coming out. You know, it's kind of that standard format stuff. So I have to read a lot of books. Well, uh, thank you, Don, and thank you for your continued support. I know your archivist media is still involved in the stuff we do. Yeah, so, very um, proud of this. Very uh, excited and, and you know, to see where we started out, yep. how uncomfortable I was. I remember those early days in the studio. Well, everything's like For that. hours. You yeah, know, I know. Just but everything starts it. out the way it started out, and I knew it would go places. Lauren, come along. You have the chemistry that it's necessary. She, she saved it. Exactly. I, I know. Well, carry on. No. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, Don. Thanks, Don. So we transitioned the legends and lore idea into a wider Pomeroy historic marker idea. So now every episode of our podcast is solely supported by the Pomeroy Foundation. And every episode starts with an entry to a subject through a Pomeroy marker. And this has given us, again, a wide variety of stories that we can pick from and choose from around the state. The Pomeroy Foundation has hundreds of historic markers in New York State. They have new programs coming online, so there's new opportunities for us to talk about different subjects. And each of the Pomeroy markers may be specific to a local history uh, idea or a local history location, but so many of them can be expanded upon and you can talk about the statewide significance of things like suffrage or the Erie Canal or Patriot burials and on and on. And so I thought it would be a great idea if we could have Susan Hughes join us from the Pomeroy Foundation. She's literally right next to us. Yeah. Susan Hughes is the historian and archivist of the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. The William G. Pomeroy Foundation is here at the AFNES conference as a presenting sponsor. Some of the people that are here may have noticed as you're walking around, they have this interesting little tidbit on their table. Maybe you've seen the squishy potato. Susan, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what that squishy potato is promoting. Thank you. I'd love to tell you about our squishy potatoes. <laughs> we have a fairly new program. Um, we've had it out for a couple of years. It's called Hungry for History. 
And what we're looking for are dishes that really celebrate America's food history by telling the story of like a regional dish or a local dish. It can be a variety of a dish. We have one example was chocolate jumbles, which is a cookie. The recipe goes back as far as Martha Washington, but there's a particular area where they specialize in the chocolate ones. So we really want to commemorate these dishes um, that really put a spotlight on your community. When we say dish, it's anything of two or more ingredients. It can be an entree, it can be a dessert, uh, as long as it was created before 1970. And we want to show that it was being eaten before 1970 by the general public or in your area, and hopefully still being eaten today. Um, we're not looking for restaurants. We're not looking for food festivals. We're looking for certain things, for example, salt potatoes. And that's where that squishy little potato comes in. That was our first marker. Um, it went in in Syracuse. As you know, Syracuse is the salt city. The story is that the Irish immigrants who worked in the salt beds would throw their potatoes into the boiling water, into the brine, and at lunchtime, they'd have a cooked potato. And it was encrusted with salt. And it became a very popular, actually, bar food, slathered with butter as we eat them today. Probably not the healthiest thing, but we know very delicious. Mm -hmm. We also have beef on weck um, out in Buffalo. Um, we have the Michigan hot dog, Michigan with a small M in Plattsburgh. So we're really interested in hearing about those different food varieties uh, that your community has been eating for a long time. And it is a national program. Are beverages included? At this time, no, but we're definitely considering it because we've had a lot of people ask about it. But at this time, no, we're not doing beverages. We really want to concentrate on dishes. Is there a way that uh, historians either here or that are listening can apply? Yeah, we do two rounds a year. And the next round would be the end of January of 2023. And then there'll be another round that will open up in September. So the best thing to do is you can look on our website, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, who knows what else we'll be on next time, <laughs> whatever the next best thing is. But yeah, that's the best thing to do is follow us on social media or check out our website, wgpfoundation.org. One more question. Uh, you have many programs that I can think of beyond the New York historical markers that will be valuable for 250th related mm -hmm. commemoration. Can you just talk about maybe a couple of those, like the Patriot burials? Sure. Just how historians can start thinking about historic markers mm -hmm. as part of the commemoration? Definitely. Patriot Burials is one of our newest ones, and it actually started here in New York, and we're slowly partnering with other Sons of the American Revolution chapters in different states, such as New Jersey and Louisiana. But the idea was born here in New York State by a gentleman from the Sons of the American Revolution, and what we're looking for is to mark burial sites of Revolutionary War patriots. The applications come from the Sons of the American Revolution, but I'd also like to encourage our local historians to reach out to us and we can give them contact information for the gentleman in New York who is coordinating this, and he will put you in touch with a local chapter um, that will do the application for you. They're gonna do all the heavy lifting. All they're gonna ask you for is some cooperation, possibly provide some primary source documentation, and to identify the different burial sites. Well, thank you so much, yeah, thank and you thank you much. for the continued support of the podcast, but also for 
again, all of the work that the Pomeroy Foundation does for New York State history, you're really one of the champions, and I see you at every conference that I'm at, and I know that the foundation will be there, and you'll be uh, doing great work. So thank you so much. You're yeah. welcome, and we love doing it. So great. thank you for thank having me. Thank you. Thank you, Suzanne. So we want to keep on the uh, historic marker theme and really um, invite another guest up. His name is Matt Ertz. He is the Madison County historian and has been since 2010. But he's also a grant evaluator for the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. So he is the first line of your uh, application, I guess. He's the first eyes that are going to look at the historic marker applications. And we thought it'd be a good idea to talk with Matt about that process and what he looks for when he looks at these applications. So welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me. When I look at them, I look for a couple of things. The first thing I look is at what are people saying? So if they put an application in, we want to find the facts that have to be proven. Once we determine that, we actually look at the documents that are supplied to determine whether or not they've proven them and whether or not they're primary source documents. So that's obviously a big thing with the Pomeroy Foundation. And once I make that determination, it goes on to another person who then looks at what I write in my notes, and they start to reach out to the folks and uh, see what they can do to help them if they weren't approved, and if they are approved, they go to a, a different person to make the next determination. I think that's one of the great things about the Pomeroy Foundation applications is if you do apply and there is something that isn't quite clear, it's not just a one and done, try again next year. You as a reviewer and the rest of the foundation are very helpful in trying to assist historians or whoever's applying in trying to go out and then get that source that you need, the primary source, to be able to prove that. Do you have any tips on frequently used primary sources that are out there that can be helpful to historians? Yeah, so it depends on the era you're looking at. If it's possible, contemporary newspapers covering an event is always a good thing. Obviously, with something like the Patriot Burial Program, you're going to look for pensions and you're going to look for burial listings of some sort so that we know they're buried there and we know they were in service. For other programs, a lot of times it just depends on what you're trying to prove in the era because obviously records are different in each era and sometimes that makes it hard. I would also always encourage people to look at what you're applying for. So if you're saying somebody was a veteran, but they were also a business owner and a lawyer and a philanthropist, you have to prove all those things. So make sure you have records that show that. And that might be business directories. That might be a lot of uh, counties have like legal directories where they reported who had a law license in their county or a medical license. Even something like, again, a contemporary newspaper advertisement. If they were advertising the newspapers that they were a lawyer and they were for hire, that's a great source that shows they were an attorney. Sometimes it's really hard, and sometimes we have to look at a situation where maybe we have to put in a circa if they're trying to prove a date or something like that. But yeah, it, it really depends on the application and what they're trying to say. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do, and it is really important to be able to prove what you're going to say on those signs. Thank you all the people that are putting them in because that's preserving history, and that's really important. And again, to put in a plug for not only your work, Matt, but for the Pomeroy Foundation, you know, New York started erecting historic markers in the 1920s, and it was done by the State Ed Department and the State Historian's Office. And that lasted really until around 1940, and then that program kind of uh, had run its course for various reasons. There was another program that was 
established in the 1960s for the large throughway signs that we still see. Uh, but those, those markers are, um, quite frankly, uh, problematic in a lot of places, and some of the history is, is not as uh, well documented as what the, you do with the Pomeroy Foundation and what the Pomeroy Foundation expects. So I really agree with Lauren that um, it's a vastly important project. And I should stress, it's a team effort. So there are people before me that do screening, and then it goes through others. So it, it's a process of people that go through and make sure what we're putting out is very accurate and, and it's very important. We want to try and get that out there. Well, that's uh, about what we had for our program. This is, again, the first time we've done a live one that's not been in the studio or in our basement. Uh, so um, I just want to thank uh, all of you in the audience here at the uh, AFNES conference in Kingston. I also want to thank all of our listeners for listening to A New York Minute in History. And a very special thank you to our guests who took time to speak with us today, Taylor Brook. Christine Radarski, Don Wildman, Susan Hughes, and Matt Ertz. To learn more about our podcast, please visit wamcpodcast.org. This podcast is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio, the New York State Museum, and Archivist Media with support from the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Our producer is Jesse King. I'm Devin Lander. And I'm Lauren Roberts. Until next time, Excelsior. Excelsior.